millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So although the podcast is called Billboard on Broadway, every so often I do like to venture beyond New York City with uh, the guests who come. Uh, because after all, a great deal of the shows that do end up here started somewhere else first. Uh, One of the great regional theaters outside New York is Barrington Stage Company, which is in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. Uh, They have a ton of great shows, um, some of which do come to Broadway eventually. And right now, uh, they have a new production of Stephen Sondheim's Company that just opened. Company, uh, if you don't know it, is one of the great modern musicals uh, known for songs like The Ladies Who Lunch and Being Alive. Um... And that's big news on its own, any production of company is. But it's even more exciting because Aaron Tveit, uh, who I would venture to say is like one of Broadway's favorite boyfriends, <laughs> is starring as Bobby, the lead role in the show. You might know Aaron's name because last year he starred as Danny in Grease Live on Fox. But he was a Broadway favorite long before that. He played Link Larkin in Hairspray, Pharaoh in Wicked, and then his real career turning point role came in 2009 in Next to Normal, which I would say is one of the shows that really helped inaugurate the turn towards more rock and pop-oriented theater scores uh, on Broadway in the past decade. Uh, It seemed like after Next to Normal, everyone realized that Aaron had this amazing combination of, you know, leading man looks and presence, but also the potential to kind of explore darker characters. And he went on to headline the musical uh, version of Catch Me If You Can, and also to a pretty quick degree of success on screen that few actors from the musical theater world can achieve. He had this pretty prominent role on Gossip Girl. Uh, as Trip Vander Woodson, for those of you who are Gossip Girl fans still. Uh, and then two shows that were basically built around him, Graceland and Braindead. And then in the film version of Les Miserables, he played Anjora. Uh, I wanted to talk to Aaron for two big reasons. One, playing Bobby is a big milestone for any actor. 
And particularly in light of the fact that he just played another big deep Sondheim role in London, uh, he was John Wilkes Booth in a production of Assassins there a couple years ago, it seems like it kind of signals a new phase in his career, um, getting into these kind of meteor roles. Uh, but also, Aaron has this whole other side to what he does that is totally pop music oriented. Uh, like a lot of Broadway stars, he has a solo show, and he mostly sings pop and rock covers uh, in the show, from Queen and Ed Sheeran to The Killers uh, to Taylor Swift. He is especially well-known for his uh, version of We Are Never Getting Back Together. So we talked about all of that recently when Aaron called me from Barrington Stage, uh, where he was in the last stages of company rehearsals. I guess that the, you know, when I was looking at your Broadway and beyond Broadway career, it really struck Mm -hmm. me that you've been able to pretty much do all shows with living composers, um, with contemporary, like very sort of pop infused scores that have given you the freedom to kind of sing in that way, too. And that seems like a really rare career path to me is that something that's occurred to you or that wow, you... you know what that's actually that's actually not occurred to me until this exact moment and you're absolutely right that is very that's very very interesting I never even thought about that yeah I mean I've, I've been um, you know I, I, I grew up as a classical singer I mean I started kind of singing classically and uh, went to school as a music major for a year where I just studied classic voice but you know so it's very interesting that then you know after only being a music major about two years before I did the national tour of rent is like kind of a big jump different yeah. you know different type of music but you know but i'm kind of convinced that you know classical music is very much at classical music to singing is very much ballet to dance i mean it's kind of a great foundation and i think it was it gave me the opportunity to kind of learn how to use my voice correctly and you know since i've been doing and then since i've been doing a lot of pop music which is very you know very funny but uh it's also been i've been lucky because it's been very collaborative as opposed to a lot of revivals. I mean, I absolutely love Rodgers and Hammerstein and Rodgers and Hart. And I mean, you know, these, these amazing, you know, they're classics for a reason, these, you know, these shows in the canon of musical theater. But the nice thing about working with composers that are around is that <laughs> they, you kind of get to have your own influence and change keys to fit you. And they, you know, as, as a new musical is being shaped, the songs are written and changed to fit your voice once they learn your voice and hear your voice. And so that's really, I think, been a huge luxury for me is that, you know, I've, I've been able to kind of have the music around me shaped by people in the room with me. Completely. Well, it's a, it's sort of a funny uh, switch from the way careers usually go, I feel, because you, you know, you've got worked with, you know, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman and Stephen Schwartz mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the Jonathan Larson score. And, and now you go back to Sondheim, whereas like yeah. I feel like a lot of actors start with these like very old classics. And then Sondheim is their yeah. like, weird modern foray into, you know, the contemporary yeah, and I think world. You get, it's, I think I, I definitely felt this way, you know, the short time that I was in theater school that, you know, the Sondheim material was like sacred and it was you only messed with it if you really were prepared to sing the song and you could, you had to, you know, know every word and sing everything absolutely correctly, which is a hundred percent true. 
But the other side of that is this, his writing, when you do that, it's all there for you. It becomes, you know, once you kind of unlock that door of, you know, some of the music is difficult and some of the lyrics are tricky, but once you unlock that door, it really opens up a whole different thing um, storytelling wise. And I, that, that's the, that's the greatest thing I've learned from doing assassins. And now this is that, you know, once you put in the work to really get it, everything else just blossoms and it's, it's the material is just so rich and amazing. And, but I, I definitely had like a very <laughs> nervous view of Sondheim material when I came into musical theater, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to, I can't, I'm not good enough to do that stuff. You know, that's definitely how I felt, you know, early, earlier in my life. But, uh, but it's it's really it's amazing, and so it, it's it's interesting to come to this now after kind of working on much more contemporary material, but even companies specifically. I mean, this show, I think the workshop started in the late '60s and it premiered in the early '70s, and it is like even today, it's a progressive show and progressive scores. So I can't imagine how it was received in the '70s. I know you know it was received well, but. I think it kind of built, I think originally audiences probably didn't know what to do with it because it's, it is such a, it's a, it's a very, very modern musical that just happened to have premiered in like, you know, the early seventies. It's, mm-hmm. it's remarkable. No, it's you can certainly say the same thing, same thing of assassins. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I wanted to, and this relates to Sondheim. I wanted to talk about your voice a bit because I feel like it's always, uh, I feel like there's this horrible phrase of like sounding Broadway, which American Mm -hmm. Idol popularized. Um, (laughs) And I feel like you are, you know, one of the rare musical theater people who there is a very natural pop sensibility to your voice and it doesn't sound put on. Um, Is that how did you discover that? And I'm curious, like what singers you looked up to when you were kind of developing vocally? You know, I was I think I was really lucky that. I was, uh, I didn't start taking voice lessons until I was in 11th grade and, uh, I had kind of always sang and been very musical, but you know, my first voice teacher was a bar- a, a baritone opera singer who had had a kind of a big opera career in New York and then, you know, lived upstate near my parents, um, and later in his life. And, you know, he did not try to change my voice at all. You know, he was, he said, this is your voice. I don't want you to, I don't want you to try to sound like me. And I think a lot of voice teachers aren't that great about doing that with their young students. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really lucky that he, he really, you know, said, just find your own voice. And then when I went to college, the same thing, my voice teacher in college is a woman named Elizabeth Koch. And she was a, a big opera singer around the world. And she and her husband ended up being at Ithaca for only three or four years. Uh, when I, and it, we just happened to cross paths and she was the same way. I mean, she, I was a music student with her, so I was singing a lot of classical literature, but I think she even knew that I had a very much a pop sensibility, and so she didn't try to change my voice, and she really encouraged me to find my own voice. So mm-hmm. I think I was really lucky early on that I had teachers that did that. And then, you know, and then I, I think I just was just singing such a wide variety of music all the time and going from a classical training to then being in Rent. and But I also listened to a lot of pop music all the time. Like, you, you know, I, when I was a kid... I mean, I was a. I listened to a lot of hip hop, but also, I mean, very early on, Boys to Men, Shy. I mean, these kind of early '90s R&B groups were a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that I listened to. But at the same time, my parents were listening to the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, and so there was all this. There was always a very a variance of music in my home and that I listened to, and so I think I pulled a lot from that. And then, you know, as I've gotten older and kind of really settled into the kind of you know, the, the, the voice that I do have, I mean, I, 
I look at singers like, I mean, this is, I mean, I, you know, I just, I just started singing some queen stuff in my, in my live shows because I, yeah. again, like, but like Sondheim music, I was like, I can't, I can't sing that. I can't touch that. You know, it's like <laughs> Freddie Mercury has like the greatest voice of all time. But I mean that, that stuff I'm like, Oh, you know, inter- interestingly, I have a weird kind of upper register mix in the way that he does that I never knew before. And so, you know, you know, I, I, I think I've been influenced by a lot of different music and genre and that I think has allowed me to to sing very differently. And then also the fact that I I wasn't a theater, quote unquote, theater kid. I didn't listen to a lot of Broadway music. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't I wasn't in theater school for a long time. And so I don't think I was forced or even tried to emulate that sound. But then when I was in theater school, the, the singers that I really looked up to kind of, you know, friends that I knew in college knew that I didn't really know any musical theater. So they threw music at me to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, looking back, I mean, the people that I really looked up to were Norbert Leo Butts, Gavin Creel, and Rollo Sparza. Those are probably the three voices when I was in college that most influenced my singing training. Mm-hmm. And Norbert is very, you know, now that it's, which is hilarious that Norbert <laughs> and I are such good friends now, but yeah. he he was kind of the same thing, an untrained singer, not a theater singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Raul also was like not a theater singer. And then Gavin just has like the clearest, most beautiful, perfect male musical theater voice. So it's like, you know, I, I think I listened to three very specific things that didn't really have a quote unquote Broadway sound in uh-huh. that time. Yeah, well, when I was thinking about the roles that you've played, I'm. it's interesting to me that it seems like every role has kind of set you up in a different way, uh, like both dramatically and vocally. Like you yeah. you could be a very traditional leading man, but I feel like all of your roles have had like a little bit of edge to them in different ways. And in a way, like thinking about Greece, like I feel like Denny is like the most traditional role you've played yet yeah, <laughs> in a strange it, it way. Kind of, it kind of is. Yeah, that's really kind of the most true. But even he is kind of a little off center as far mm-hmm. as, you know, musical theater goes no I really you know besides Fierro but even that's a whole different thing I really haven't played a prince (laughs) in a musical you know like I've kind of been able to skirt around that which I've been very happy about not that there's anything wrong with that and I'm open to it in the future but it's been (laughs) nice to do you know it's it's different playing like the you know than playing a you know say a prince in in a in in an old school musical than playing a you know 18 year old vision of a dead baby it's like a very different thing you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and that, and I mean, now you're you're entering into your like dark Sondheim leading man phase. Yes, it exactly. seems. Um, exactly. I mean, it, it seems like I mean, I guess you just happened to have done Assassins and Company two in a row. But was was that like a moment of transition for you? Of like, okay, I'm ready for these roles now because or, you know, I was really lucky that I based, I worked in theater for, I mean, from pretty much straight through from 2004. Um, through when Catch Me the Can closed in 2011. So, I mean, that was uh, an amazing run of kind of straight through. But I, I was playing kids, essentially. I was mm-hmm. playing, you know, 18, 19, 20, 20-year-old 20 kids. And uh, I was very, you know, then then very lucky that the last five years, basically, I've been doing TV and film, you know, with Grease mixed in and Assassins mixed in. But mm-hmm. I think the, the timing of that is was just wonderfully perfect for me because I was able to kind of go away and get a little older <laughs> while, while, but while still doing this amazing different work, but at the same time now kind of coming back to it, I'm, I'm finally old enough to then start looking at the next group of roles in musical theater and, and theater. So, you know, I think that the timing of that just worked out, you know, it's like, it's just amazing timing for me. 
Mm -hmm. And I mean, playing Bobby especially, I feel like is yeah. just a milestone for, for an actor uh, that yeah. I think you really do have to feel like you're in the right point of your life to even relate to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's his 35th birthday. I'm, I turned 34 in two months. So I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a year, you know, a year behind. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's very close to me because mm -hmm. I'm still very close with all the guys that I grew up with and they're now all married. They all have kids. And <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's still very much my social structure, the people that I grew up with. And so that it's, it's very, very, <laughs> there's a lot of things that in the, in the play, I'm like, Whoa, this is crazy because it's so very much, you know, what I've been going through around my friends the last four or five years. So it's, it's very, it's very close at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder, I, I feel like, uh, you know, verbalizing what is so special about Sondheim is a hard thing to do. And I think for yeah. people who like musical theater, it's, it's we're all tempted to just be like, ah, Sondheim. But I think there there is something about Sondheim especially that appeals to people who maybe aren't total lifelong musical theater fans and yeah. maybe come from, from more of a listening to pop or some other kind of music background. What do you think it is about Sondheim that has that kind of appeal? Well, I mean, just even looking in, in terms of company right now, I mean, it is, there's all this stuff here, but in a way, what's on the page is a little blank. It's really a kind of a blank canvas that you can interpret different ways and kind of try different things and, and do anything with. Um, and so I think that that's what's really exciting about this to me is that, you know, you kind of, you kind of just learn it. And then like, for instance, we, you know, we're two weeks yeah. in our rehearsal, we ran ran the show the last you know sunday after two weeks mm -hmm. and now we just have like a couple weeks to just play and see what this thing really is um and i think his material lends to that it's a there's a lot of oh, there's a lot of questions that are asked um but i also just love i mean this this one in particular too it's you know i think it's showing the good and bad of all these relationships and the good and bad of marriage and it allows the audience to come in and every single audience member is going to have a different view of marriage, of relationships, and it'll they're going to just totally kind of place and project whatever they think to what's happening on stage. And mm -hmm. I think that is amazing about his material. I mean, I think that's what great television and great film do and great television and film actors do is they kind of are able to be a bit of a mirror for the audience and let the audience bounce their own thoughts off of them. And I really feel like his material does that on stage in a way that nothing else I've ever experience does. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Completely, completely. No, it's, it really feels like a reflection of actual modern life, I think. Yeah. So I think yeah. people relate to it in a different way. Yeah. It's just not, you know, it's his, his stories are so real. They don't, it's, you know, it's, they, they are, it's not just we're in a musical here, you know, kicking our legs up. It's like, no, this is, these are real people and real, real stories and real problems. So uh, amidst all of these theatrical things you've done, at what point did the idea come to you to start doing these concerts? Because I think it's very cool that your concerts are basically like pop concerts and you yeah. cover like Taylor Swift and yeah. <laughs> it's not really what people um, would expect. Again, a, a bit of, in a bit of a roundabout way, it was, uh, I think the first one, the first, the first group of concerts I did were in the spring of 2013. And at that point I had just finished shooting season one of Graceland. I had shot Les Mis the year before. I hadn't been on stage at that point in two years. And so I think I was really missing singing. And the opportunity came up at 54 Below, which was like a brand new venue. And again, Norbert had just done a concert there, so I was aware of it. <laughs> uh, the parallels don't end. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, why don't I do this? And then the response to, you know, the the I was completely shocked and blown away by the response to the people that bought tickets. I mean, I had six shows that sold out in like no time and i couldn't i i was actually totally shocked by that i had no idea and then those concerts were so successful and not only in in that regard but i had so much fun doing it and mm -hmm. you know the taylor swift thing i have a great music director this guy named brian perry and the taylor swift thing was literally an email exchange between the two of us and i wrote him i was like because i felt like my set needed like a, a moment like that you know some <laughs> fun and i just wrote him i was like what about this <laughs> he just wrote me back he said why <laughs> but he's so open and amazing that we tried it. And then it ended up being kind of the biggest success of the evening, which then I've, I've taken, I, I learned so much from that, that, that going forward and the rest of the concerts I've done, I, I really try to look for moments like that, where I feel like what, what, like my show is that I don't take myself too seriously. And I try to have a lot of fun and then turn the audience as fun. That's kind of the idea that I have since, since gone forth with for my concerts mm -hmm. and then what happened i did this elsie fest thing that darren chris does yes coming up I soon did, I, I did the first year of it and we again brian and i heard that it was at the jbl live stage outside and on uh, this like huge rock stage on 57th street in the water and uh i was we were like okay so let's put a rock set together and we put this rock set together and it went great and unbeknownst to me live nation was a co-producer with with darren at elsie <laughs> fest and they came to me and said hey do you want to do some of these shows at our you know irving plaza house of blues venues and i was like uh <laughs> i had no idea why they're asking me but i was like yeah of course i do <laughs> and so that's then how that kind of happened and yeah I, i've just gotten to like put together great pop rock fun shows and kind of with an amazing band it's like basically the whole next to normal band and we've been able to like go to these different venues and just rock out it's really been spectacular i've had so much fun doing it what are for people who haven't been to one of your concerts what are a few of your favorite uh songs that you do um let's see what's one in that set uh well creep is always a big a, a big one for me i get to be very moody and emo and uh <laughs> in touch with my my brooding side uh but yeah but the, the taylor swift is always great i do like a big girl pop medley that gets a very big laugh and response which is awesome um i sing some adele and some bonnie Raitt, and i can't make you love me is kind of my one of my favorite songs ever and that adele song all i ask off her last album when yes. i first when i first heard that song i was like oh this is i can't make you love me so it's, it's like one of these 
you know, heart-wrenching slit your wrist ballads. Don't slit your wrist, anyone. Um, but uh, so I put those, I, I put those together, and that's a lot of fun. And uh, what else is great? Do you find that your your is your voice especially suited to girl pop? <laughs> for for some reason, my my uh, my my girly voice. I'm kind of secretly an alto, not a tenor. My girly voice fits really well in girl pop. Yeah, <laughs> the keys aren't very far off. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. Well, so I feel like, you know, to a, to a greater extent than many other actors from the musical theater world who then, you know, try TV and film, it feels like it's it's really worked well for you. And, you, you mm-hmm. know, you've even had like a couple of shows almost sort of built around you. Um, yeah. How has it been for you to sort of navigate that divide? Because I think you are the kind of person who, when we don't see you on Broadway for a while, you're missed and you do have a pretty rabid theater fan base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so like how, I mean, are there, are there theater things you've had to say no to? Um, you know, how have you been able to navigate that? Yeah, there, there have been a lot of, I mean, there have been a lot of opportunities that I've, said no to um, on stage. Uh, and I think the hard thing is, first of all, is timing. I mean, like I was saying before, I mean, I, w- I was on a series for three years and they kind of, you know, when you're on a television series, they, they have, it, it's an amazing thing. Listen, I mean, you have a seven year contract, so it's like they, but they have first position at all times. And so they're kind of unbending and un, un unbroken as far as they're, they have you and you, you have to do that. So anything that you're trying to do, while you're on the TV series has to fit in your hiatus. And so that was like first and foremost, why I wasn't able to do a lot of things. Um, but amazingly in turn, I was then able to fit in a lot of, you know, indie films that only shot 21 days in my hiatus and assassins fit perfectly um, in, in kind of as like a four month gig between two seasons of Graceland. Uh, so that was kind of the first and foremost thing. And then the other thing too is, is, I mean, it's, I've, I've been looking for the right thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, it's, I want to work on, um, new and not necessarily new, but challenging and, and, you know, and something on stage, especially that, uh, that was correct for the time. I mean, that's kind of how I look at everything. I mean, this past year, not being on a television show, I mean, I've been, you know, I, I, I didn't say, okay, it's time to do a play or it's time to do this or it's mm-hmm. time to do a movie. It's kind of like, I, I really look at everything that comes in and I have an amazing, manager and team of agents that that are so on board with the same thing that we're just going to look at every single thing as the opportunity in that moment and if it's right for where we're at right there so that's kind of how we go about it and um you know so that that's really how that has been shaped but in 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 i think i don't know i mean a lot since since i left catch me the can in 2011 and the show closed i mean i've gotten to do so many different things which is just really the joy of my professional life that it's just so constant and varied and i feel very very lucky that i can walk between these different genres um you know but for me the work is essentially the same i mean i took a lot a lot of my camera class kind of from the day that i got to new york Mm -hmm. um but i was also taking you know musical theater acting class and then also taking kind of straight acting class and after a bunch of years it just kind of banging my head against the door about the difference of these things, I just saw how they all were pointing at the same thing in the middle. And it was just essentially my application of what the work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so basically I I, I kind of work the same way on everything um, at the core. And then the application is just different. And that's kind of, 
I'm a very heady person. I'm very logical. <laughs> I'm a Libra. So that, so that is uh, once that kind of clicked for me, I was like, oh, okay, I understand how this works. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you're not singing and everything, which is a problem, mm. but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, on that point, how, how did Grease Live come to you and what convinced you that it was something worth signing on for? Because I feel like that was a real turning point for the live on TV musicals. I think that they were sort of variable in quality mm-hmm. before. And I think it was pretty roundly acclaimed as the best one so far. Yeah, Grease Live, I was doing Assassins. Um, I got an email from my manager saying that they wanted to, I was I was getting ready to go back to New York in a couple of weeks, getting ready, you know, that they wanted to see me. Um, if I'm being 100% honest, I had some hesitation about it because of the uh, ones that I'd seen previously. Um, I thought that they were, I thought that they were great and what they were trying to accomplish. I was a little worried about myself in it just because of the, the, the stuff that I had done on camera. And I, again, like I was, Les Mis was a huge success, but I, I was still wary about necessarily singing on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I wanted to make sure that, you know, for early on, I was really trying to keep that those worlds separate. Um, but even though Les Mis was such a success, I was a little worried that that was like a, a lightning in a bottle and that it maybe not have, would have worked the same for me the second time. Um, but, but my manager was like, you know, she explained that who was involved, Tommy Kale directing and Mark Platt producing. Um, I had known Mark from Wicked. I had been a huge fan of Tommy's. I never worked with him. And so that was the kind of, that was the thing um, that, that, totally got me on board you know they you know my manager's like just you know it's them they want to do this a little differently and you know they kind of explained how they were going about it and so I went in and you know sang for them and read for them in New York and then that led to you know a a chemistry chemistry test because at that time Julianne was already attached and so that then Mm -hmm. led to a chemistry test with Julianne and um, I got the gig but you know they they any kind of uh were not worry that I had but any any thoughts or hesitation that I had from when they explained the way that they were going to do it, I was confident that I'd be able to kind of survive within their world because it was very, very much like uh, shooting a movie instead of just, you know, taping a a thing on stage. So I was like, Oh, okay. So this is, this is very similar to what I did in Les Mis, except it's just going to be once live. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the thing that uh, definitely got me on board, but yeah, I, I, it was, uh, I was a little worried just because I was, you know, early on and, I was trying to keep kind of all the world separate, but it was the, everyone, everyone was, everyone was totally right. And my hesitations at the beginning were not right. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was, no, it was great. And there was more yeah. of you in it than in Lame as I walked away and I was like, number one observation, not enough Aaron debate, but whatever. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I was very thrilled with how that came out. And I thought um, I was very grateful for, uh, what Tom Hooper did in the editing room. He cut to me a lot during the battles, and I was like, thank you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hear the people sing to me longer, but I'll, I'll get yeah. into it someday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so have, I mean, having done Grease now, have you have you seen your fan base change from that kind of exposure? You know, it's interesting. I've had, I, the, the fans are incredible, and um, they've been so very supportive. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a interesting combination of you know, these, these Broadway fans are so dedicated and amazing and supportive. And then that then combined with uh, this gossip girl fan base that happens then combined Mm -hmm. with the Les Mis movie. And then it's just, I think it's just expanded because of obviously, I mean, you know, the thing about 
television or big network television or an event like Greece where 15, 20 million people watch it. It's just more eyes, you know what I mean, than anything mm-hmm. else. And so I think that, that that's that's definitely the thing that I've noticed is just it's it's expanded. But, you know, they've always been really diehard and supportive, and I'm really lucky for them. Well, so speaking of the fans, I uh, we, I was a fan of the Fate For It moment at Ham For Ham. <laughs> and I was, I was just watching it again yesterday, and it's like, it's mm-hmm. crazy, the screaming. Um, yeah. and that was it just... really, that was quite a, that was quite an experience, yeah. Just, <laughs> and also just to see that. That was like right at the, I think, the height of the Ham. There was like thousands of people on, this, on the street. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Lynn, Lynn was amazing. You come that. out of Rory the door. Too. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like, I mean, it reminds me that there are for certain musical theater stars now. I mean, you're almost becoming more like pop stars in a way. I mean, you came out yeah. of you came out of the doors and it was like, you know, the lead singer of a band coming on stage or something. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. And you were talking about the parallel before. It it, it is that that type of uh fan base is is developing for musical theater. You're absolutely right. Uh, as it should. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, after company, what is going on for you, and when are you coming back to Broadway? <laughs> <laughs> after company, right now I have a couple weeks off in September, and then I'm going uh, to shoot a film in October. Um, it's called Out of Blue. It's an indie film that um, uh, is is uh, by kind of BBC Films and BFI, which is really cool. Uh, it's kind of a very bleak uh, European crime drama, but it's actually about an American family in the South. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, no, I'm playing like a, a detective and it's really exciting. I'm really, uh, it's a young writer director who's incredible and I'm very, very excited. So that's, that, that's great. You know, and again, something totally different than I'm doing right now, which is always, you know, very, very exciting. But the, yeah, the Broadway thing, I... <sighs> I wish I wish I had an answer. I um I wish I had an answer as to when. It will be sometime. I just do not know what or when. Well, don't wait another six years, please. <laughs> I will. I'm, I promise. I I will not do that. No, no, no. It won't be that long. Clearly, my needs are very important here. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Aaron. This has been really fun. Oh, thank you. No, this is uh, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. I, and it's funny. I um, I, I've recently gotten into podcasts at the be- at the behest and uh and, and suggestion of a few very close friends, and um, I'm I'm quite I quite enjoy them. So thank you. I was very excited to be a part of one. Well, you should subscribe to Billboard on Broadway. I think you will find that many of your friends and colleagues have already been on the podcast. I would. Highly recommend. I uh, I did a, a nice long one with Alex Lacamoire recently. Oh, awesome! Um, it's like my favorite person on earth now. He's so. <laughs> cool. He's the coolest, nicest guy, man. And beyond all the talent and accolades, he's just the coolest dude. And yeah, the nicest. Yeah. No, he like he. We tape the podcast in the library at Billboard, which mm-hmm. is just filled with like all of these archival oh copies of billboard oh and he of course gosh. like took some rent well someday when you're back on broadway you can come in and do a podcast live um sounds great i'm there <laughs> um but he just came in and he opened like one random one off the shelf like to some random page and like knew exactly who was on the page oh it God, was like awesome not um, surprising yes i was like of course you would know who this obscure random person is um but yeah that's so. great well anyway thank you again and um yeah I, I hope that i hope maybe i can take a field trip up to barrington to yeah that'd be awesome i think you'd, you you would enjoy it and uh thank you rebecca i really appreciate it okay okay i'll talk to you soon
All right, take care. Bye. And you came around again and said, baby, I miss you and I swear I'm gonna change. Trust me, remember how that lasted for a day. I say, I hate you, we break up, you call me, I love you. will be starring in Company, which is up at Barrington Stage Company through September 2nd. If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, please subscribe uh, on iTunes and give us lots of nice stars and reviews. If you're a fan, you can always find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff. And please use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway if you have anything to say about the podcast. And hope to see you back next week. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.